Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Good morning, church family. Come on, how are we this morning? Hey, as y'all know, I get excited when I get the opportunity to speak. And this morning, I get to speak about something that I truly am passionate about. You want to guess why I love to come to church or why I love to be here all week long, every week? It's people. It's you. And that goes for our entire staff. You are the reason why we do what we do is because we love people. And this morning, we're going to talk about people a little bit. Uh, I have a question for you to begin with, okay? How many of you have had somebody in your life, okay, over the course of your lifetime that noticed you, that took an interest that spoke into your life, that maybe told you about Jesus, maybe told you uh, about OKC community, maybe told you about Alpha, and you're here this morning because somebody did that. Come on, raise those hands. There we go, there we go. That's what I like to see. Well, listen, this morning I'm so excited because that was my life, really. I've had so many people speak into that, and that's the reason why I'm standing up here right now. My best friend was the one who initially invited me to church. I started going to youth group with him, and it was the youth pastors in that church and his family that kind of showed me what that looked like. My mom, who is in the crowd today, come on. My mom, she is really the one who laid out for me what it looked like to love people. She was a church secretary for over 30 years, and I kid you not, if my mom wasn't cleaning somebody's house because they were sick, or bringing them meals, or painting their house, or I mean, there was a thousand different things that my mom was always doing for people. And a part of, beside being a church secretary and doing all these things for the church, she would serve at Mercy's Gate every week, uh, which was a food pantry in Colorado Springs. My mom served people so much that we, as my siblings, would get mad at her. Like, Mom, you got to get home. Where's Larry? Oh, he's all right. Her husband did. Now, listen. (laughs) My mom, one year, I got to tell you this, because this one year, we showed up at Thanksgiving, and my mom walked in with two homeless people. (laughs) And my family, at first, we were like, oh, okay. And and my sister's kind of running around grabbing all the purses and (laughs) bringing them into the back room. And what's funny about that story is, is they actually, we had a great day with them. They were lovely people. Um, but the crazy part was we got to our meal and we realized that all the wine was gone. <laughs> and one of the ladies had a problem <laughs> and we didn't see her the whole time. She had a coffee cup. She just kept filling it up. And but she had a great Thanksgiving that day, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> and I remember at first, and this is honest, I mean, we, we were laughing about it then, but we were like, Mom, you can't do this. You know what I mean? We truly would kind of get upset with her for the lengths that she would go to love people. But you know what? That was the best example that I'd ever had. She's the reason, truly, one of the reasons why I'm a pastor today. And I love her for that. So, yeah, come on. So this morning, um, we're going to, I want you to remember those people, number one, okay? And I want you to reach out to them this week. If you've got somebody in your life that did that for you, I want you to reach out to them and thank them. 
But this morning, I want to kind of flip the coin, okay? And we're going to talk about not being loved, but we're going to talk about loving people, okay? And how we are called to love people. The title this morning of my message is God's People Love People, okay? Say, God's people love people. And then in the next 30 minutes or so, I want to show you, okay, how we tend to prioritize our love and how we love people in our life and how very different that is from the way that Jesus prioritizes. Tim shared a couple weeks ago the prayer of Jabez, and I'm sure you guys remember that. And the prayer said, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. This morning, what I want to talk about is enlarging our territory, okay? And that not only does God want to do that, but there's something we have a part to play in enlarging our territory. So let me hear you say enlarging our territory. We started off uh, on week one of making God first with looking at the greatest commandment, okay? And you'll remember Matthew 22 37 through 39, it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then it says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we spent that first five weeks looking at how we can love God and make him first in our lives. Right? We looked at prayer, pray first. We looked at give first. Uh, we talked last week about giving God the battles in our lives, or how those addictions in our lives a lot of times get in the way of God, and we have to give that to him. And like Tim said, anything is possible for the person who believes that he can break those chains in your life. So we spent those weeks looking at how we make God first, and today I want to look at the backside of the greatest commandment, and look at love your neighbor as yourself. Because, friends, if we truly are going to go on a journey in making God first, loving people is a priority. I would go so far as to say it's impossible to make God first if you don't love people. One theologian I read said that that passage is really, one, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and one, A, Love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning how you love people is, is as important as how you love God. Those words he uses in between the two parts, it says, and the second is like it, is not only a phrase of matching priority, but it also means that when you love your neighbor as yourself, you are also loving God in doing that. So, to begin, I want to look at that phrase, first of all, of what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? I had a great talk with Tim this week, and he was reminding me of the fact that how Jesus attached as yourself to the end of that, because, right, he could have just said, love your neighbor, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor, but he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He could have just said, love your neighbor, but he didn't. So loving ourselves points to this importance of who we are as a child of God and a product of his creation. And if you were to see with God's eyes, you would see something amazing and uniquely gifted 
to do something that only you can do. Now, having said that, there's also another side to that coin, right? That we cannot let our self-love get out of control, for we're called to be humble, right? Jesus said, uh, learn from me, and I am gentle and humble in heart, right? I love how the commentaries put it about that phrase, love your neighbor of yourself. He said, this doesn't mean that we love ourselves before we can love anyone else. It means that in the same way we take care of ourselves and are concerned about our own interests, we should take care and have concern for the interests of others. So to make it simple and plain, God believes that you are amazing. You should believe that you are amazing. God created you beautiful and dashing and amazing for the purpose of loving others so well that they see God and realize that they are amazing. Amen? So look at your neighbor and say, I am amazing. Now, now look at them and say, you are amazing. Come on. All right, so second question, okay? Who are our neighbors? Who are our neighbors? First of all, in the Luke version of the greatest commandment, if you go and look at that version in Luke 10, uh, the guy that was trying to basically trap Jesus and asking him this question, when he told him the greatest commandment, he followed that up, well, well, who is my neighbor? And this is what Jesus said. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra co cost that you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked the expert. And he replied, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. The Hebrew and Greek definitions of the word neighbor, there were quite a few, but here are a few of them. One another, community, fellow citizen, friend. In all reality, neighbor means everybody else. Anyone in need, anyone who God puts in your path or puts on your heart, and guess what? Sometimes that means it might be people that you don't like or you're not, you're, you're not concerned with, but God puts them on your heart. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to envision yourself. Amazing, huh? Now I want you to open your eyes and look around. Look at all the people around you. They are your neighbors, right? When you're at work and you look around at work, they are your neighbors. 
When you go to the game, when you go to the Thunder game and you look around, they are your neighbors. When you're watching TV and you see the things that are happening a half a world away, they are your neighbors. It doesn't matter what side they're on. They're your neighbors. So, now that we have a little bit of an idea of who our neighbor is, what I want to show you guys is the general reality of how we tend to expend or disperse our love generally. Okay? And then I want to show you the Jesus way. So, we all have a certain amount of love to give, right? A well that we draw from. After the work, after the paying bills, after the going to the grocery store, after the cutting the lawn, after putting the kids to bed, after you've finished everything that you have to do in the course of a day, you've got love that you're going to give, right? And you play that out. Some have more love to give than others. There's a book, actually, uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and an incredible book on this idea that we are just getting so busy in life that we don't have time to love. So if you've got a problem with that, you should check that book out. It's a really, really good book. Anyway, it shows us how crazy life has become and how to slow it down so that we do have more love to give. It's one of the reasons why Jesus told the rich man, if you remember, to sell all of his possessions because he knew he couldn't love with all of the things that he had. You remember Paul wrote in the scriptures as well that if you were single and you could stay single, it was actually best. Why did he say that? Because it meant you have more time to love. You have more time to do things for other people. I want to show you what happens behind the scenes of how we expend our love or how we disperse our love, okay? This is a love workflow. I'm going to show you the first one. This is just a regular human, non-believer, okay? Self in the middle. We've got some different areas that we give love to. Friends and family are the people we spend the most time to and the people that we tend to give the most of our love to, correct? Second one, acquaintances. Maybe people at work or people across this room. You might know them or you recognize them, but they're really just an acquaintance at some point. We have the community at large, the people in our city. You drive by them every day. You may wave sometime. You see them at the Thunder game. It's the community of the area that you live in. And then there is the world, which is everything outside of this. Now, for the regular person, once again, most of your love is expended in the friends and family. You maybe have a little bit in the acquaintances and a smaller amount in the community at large. Now, one of the things we know that even a non-believer, a section of people who are non-believers, some people are predisposed to love people a little bit more. You might call them a people person, right? It doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or not. There are people who really do have the greater good in mind. And so those people might have a little bit of higher percentage in some of the other areas. Okay? Now, let's go to the believer. With the believer, believer what we hope, as the greatest commandment says, is that God is in the middle. Love the Lord your God. Right? And then we have the same things. Friends and family, acquaintances, community at large, and the world. And... These are all obviously arbitrary numbers. The hope, you would think, is because 
we have been given the call. We have been given uh, the words of love your neighbor as well as go and disciple uh, others that we would actually have higher percentages in these other areas, right? That it wouldn't be just family and friends that we are spending our love on, but it would also be acquaintances. We would be reaching out to them. It would also be the greater community that we would be reaching out to them. Well, I have a question for you this morning. I want you to look at those areas, friends and family, acquaintances, community at large in the world, and I want you to think of what those percentages would be for you. Do you expend your love all in friends and family, maybe a little bit in acquaintances, and even less in community at large? Maybe you have a larger percentages in acquaintance and community and the world. Has your life as a follower of Jesus and the way that you expend your love, has it changed since following Christ? Should we be different than somebody who is a non-believer? Because see, somebody who's a non-believer, they have no call on their life to love people. But those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, guys, we've been told by Jesus, love your neighbor. We've been told, go and make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a call that's on every single one of our lives, not just one or two or the ones who are people persons, right? So now I want us to look at Jesus, the way he expends love. The way that Jesus expends love is all of those areas are in the same boat which is strange to see. Now, this is coming, obviously, from the Gospels and what we know of Jesus during his time of ministry. Obviously, he had 30 years where he grew up in Nazareth, and he was a carpenter, and we don't really know a lot about that time, but we were given clues along the way. You remember when he was young and his parents couldn't find him? They had left the city, and he's still back at the temple, right? So he had different priorities already as a young person. Let me give you some examples during his time of ministry. In John chapter 11, we find one of Jesus' best friends, someone he grew up with and was quite close to. Lazarus was really sick, and his sister sent word to Jesus. It says in chapter 11, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. His best friend, one of his best friends, is sick and is dying. And yet Jesus stays where he's at two more days. Now, in all reality, Jesus knows what everybody else doesn't know is that Jesus can bring him awake, right? Even though when they get back, he is actually in the tomb and he brings him back to life. But you see, his priorities were different. He had people on his mind. He had eternity on his mind. He had love on his mind. 
In John 4, you'll remember the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus and the disciples were running from the Pharisees. They were kind of after him, and so they decided to head down to Galilee. Normally, I think they take the outside route around Samaria, Samaria because as most of you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't really get along, and Jews looked poorly on Samaritans, but they decided to go through Samaria. Jesus steps aside, the disciples go looking for food, and he ends up at a well where he talks to a woman, and he tells her about living water. She ends up going and telling all the people about the Messiah had come. Jesus had a different priority than the disciples did. He was searching out opportunities to tell people the truth, to tell people about love, to tell people about living water. In one of the most defining moments that shows us that Jesus' priorities were different, in Luke 8.21, it says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Even the priority for his family at that point had changed. Jesus' love for people played out in so many different ways than ours does. Did Jesus love his family? Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's a moment when he's on the cross and his mother is down below. It's actually in John 19, and it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, Standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. At the very end, even on the cross, he's concerned about his mother and how she's going to be taken care of. So he obviously had a deep love for his family as well. Now, we have to be real, right? we don't have the same call that Jesus had from the Father. The call that was placed on his life, it's different than ours. Jesus had the weight of saving, of putting the world on his shoulders, so much so that even his family didn't receive priority at times. I guarantee you, if my wife calls and says, hey, I need you now, most likely I'm going to come running, right? (laughs) Happy wife, happy life, you know? Listen, I'm thankful that my wife knows my call. And you know what? It's her call, too, to love people. Jesus' call to love our neighbors, the call to go and make disciples of all nations, hasn't changed. It's for every single one of us. So if that's the case, does the expenditure, the way that we love people, should it be different? Should it change? How do we bridge the difference between how the majority of us as believers use our love and how Jesus used his love and his priorities? We just can't use the excuse that, oh, he had a different call, right? There's a passage of scripture written by Paul to the church in Philippi, and he said this. 
He said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This passage that was written by Paul to the church in Philippi is a call for us to imitate Christ. Imitate him in how he walked, imitate him in how he loved to follow his example. Yes, love our friends and family well, right? I don't think that's supposed to change. It's one of our greatest calls. But as it comes to the other areas, as it comes to the world, as it comes to the community, as it comes to your acquaintances, I wonder if we're exposed, if we're supposed to enlarge our territories into those areas a little more than we do. That we should take more opportunities to get around people that we don't know so that we can share the love of Christ. Matthew 5, 46 and 47 says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Jesus went to the places where others didn't. He would reach not only to those he loved and had common ground with, but to those who were different and those that didn't even agree with him. He loved those that seemed unlovable and cared for those that society had claimed as unclean. I love this quote by Bob Goff, and I don't know if you've ever read a Bob Goff book. He wrote the book Love Does. He wrote the book Everybody Always. And he said this. He said, the world will figure out what we really believe by watching what we actually do. I think what I'm proposing this morning to you guys is as imitators of Christ, maybe we should consider enlarging the territory of those we choose to give our love to and expanding into the area of acquaintances, community at large, and the world. And in so doing, start to live out more fully the idea of loving your neighbor, of going and making disciples. We've been having these things called First Wednesdays. And on our first First Wednesday in January, we did this night where we had a bulletin board, and I meant to bring it over and forgot to do it. But that night, we had four different areas of life that Tim talked about. We had pray first, give first, reach first, or mentor first. And during worship that night, if you felt God moving in your heart towards one of those, it was kind of a commitment towards something you wanted to move towards in the year, kind of a beginning of the year type of thing. 
And that night, I actually went for the reach first. Which, as a pastor, you might think seems a little weird because I'm a pastor and that's what I'm supposed to do normally, right? Well, the thing that I found over the years as being a pastor is I begin to get caught up in here. I begin to get caught up of making sure you guys are, you know, growing in your faith and loving you and giving you the hugs and everything on Sunday mornings, which I'm going to continue to do, right? But I think what I felt God say that night was, there's a whole world dying out there. There are people who don't know forgiveness. There are people who don't know love like we know love, right? And all we have to do is just take those opportunities to get out there, to do it, to share that love, to change people's lives the way that being invited by my best friend, to change people's lives like the way that my mom reached out to all these peoples over the year, people over the years. I'm going to close here in a moment, and I want to give you some ideas, ideas to enlarge your territory, okay? Really simple, hopefully some fun ideas. But before I do that, there are two things that I really believe, if, if this is something that you hear God whispering to you, and he is. I've had people over the course of the last month tell me about different things they're doing. I had a conversation with Andy and Sylvia in our group on Wednesday night, how they're opening up Tuesday nights every single week, and they're inviting new people to come and just have dinner at their house every week. That's awesome. Yes, some of those people they know, but you know what? Their goal of it was is that they're inviting people that they don't know into their home. That's what I, I want to do in my own heart. And I hope that God moves in your heart today as well. So, a couple things that you have to do, I really believe, beforehand. Number one, pray first. You know how in the Lord's Prayer it says, and if God's will be done, right? And so if prayers fall into God's will, it's pretty much a guarantee that he's going to answer that prayer, right? I guarantee you, if you begin to pray, Lord, enlarge my territory, like Tim asked us to do, enlarge my territory, bring people into my life that I can share my story with, bring people into my life that I can really just truly love because they need to know what that love looks like, God is going to answer that prayer, right? Okay, so that's number one. Pray first. The second is, if you're going to do it, if you're going to walk out of here today and think, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Listen, you have to plan it. You have to write it down. You have to put it on your calendar. This I know is that when you put something down, when you write something down and put it actually in pen, that you have a 42% higher chance of you actually doing it. In a few minutes, we're going to walk out, and the first thing that your head's going to go to is, what am I eating today? What am I, right? It, I'm true, right? And half of us are going to forget everything we've talked about. I know some weeks I do, you know? So I don't want that to happen. I, I, can you imagine what 400 people, if they begin to reach out to others in their life and make loving your neighbor a priority? Do you, can you imagine the impact that we have on our city? We've got those words written on the window of our church, love your city. 
We need to love our city. We need to love our community. We need to love our acquaintances. And yes, our family and friends. So, here's a few ideas that I have. Ideas to enlarge your territory. Number one, mentor somebody. We've been talking about this at a few different leadership things that we've had over the last couple years. Give a piece of yourself away. Tell your story. More than anything else, be there for someone who may need help and direction in their life. There's a full room of people in here that you have to choose from that you could actually go and ask them out to coffee. Find out a little bit about them and just say, hey, I've been, I've been thinking about maybe investing in somebody and I would love to maybe mentor you for the next six months. It's as easy as doing that. It's not a difficult thing. You know, it's one of the easiest ways to disciple people. Just get together, read a passage of scripture, have discussions about that. You can do that over coffee in 30 to 45 minutes. It's such a simple thing, but for whatever reason, we have a little bit of a fear of it. And trust me, there's no fear. People don't turn down people investing in their lives. We have so many different ways that you can mentor in our church. Kendall Kelly, who's here this morning, we, we have a kind of a partnership with Comeback Kids Society. We've helped them at Christmas time over the few years. Yeah, she's got, she works with students at risk. And opportunities galore to mentor a student. And guys, we have those opportunities everywhere. If that's something you're interested in, come see me. I'll talk to you about it. Number two, serve. Mm, I know y'all love to hear that word, serve. Listen. Here at the church, whether it's on a serve team, whether it is with Love Your City, there's so many different opportunities to serve. Let me tell you why that's so important. I often tell people in Next Step, and if you're coming to Next Step, you're probably going to hear it today. I really believe that serving is the secret sauce of our faith. It, it, when you serve with nothing to get back in return, it peels away the selfishness that we tend to put on our lives throughout the week. And listen, it doesn't even have to be here. There are nonprofits all over this city that are looking for people to serve. Your neighborhood, every year they probably have the neighborhood cleanup. How many of y'all every year go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm busy that week. You know what I mean? Get into these situations where not only do you get to meet people and get to build relationships with others, but you also get those opportunities to tell your story, right? Number three, make a neighboring plan. Print some flyers. Get creative about it. Make some coffee, buy some donuts, set out some chairs in your corner out in front of your house and give it to 12 houses around you. We've done this, by the way, Angie and I. And let me tell you, almost everybody comes. It's weird. They're, some of them are in their robes and they're coming out and to get their cup of coffee and a free donut. But you know what? It got us to get to know our neighbors. It was amazing. You know what I mean? And it doesn't even have to be that way. You could have a wine and cheese night or a burgers and hot dogs in your backyard. Angie, a few years ago, she wanted to reach out to all of our Noel and Noah's friends' parents that we really just didn't know very well, and we had them over for a wine and cheese night. It was amazing. We got to know so many more people, and then every time we would see them at school events, 
we would get to connect and have deeper conversations. You can be so creative with how you do this. Number four, go to places that people are. Join clubs, organizations outside your church. That night when I was talking earlier about that I went up and got the reach first, it made me think of something. Andrew, every year, our neighborhood, they have this little meeting at the thing, and I'm always like, I don't need to go to a neighborhood meeting. And I really felt God that night say, how many of those people could I have an impact on? I literally live in the neighborhood of all of these people, and yet I've kind of turned that down every year. Get in places where you get to meet people, where you get to be around people, particularly ones that you can get to know them over a course of time. I'm not saying fill up your schedule with clubs and organizations, but I'm saying if all you're ever with are your family and your friends and maybe your coworkers, maybe that's not enough. Maybe that's what God's calling us to is to step out a little bit. Book clubs, golf clubs, pickleball clubs. Come on. Last one. And this may seem a strange one, but I just felt like God put it on my heart. Give. Do you know what happens when you give? When you tithe with your offerings? When you give, yes, it pays for this building and it pays for materials that we have up in kids. And it pays for staff and it pays for all these different things. But you know what else it pays for? It, it pays for the food at Alpha Night where people who don't know Jesus are coming to learn. It helps us pay for the meal for 150 guys that we take down to the night shelter every month. When you give, and I'm not even talking about giving here at church as well, you can give to organizations. Tim talked about how they give to a child. Angie and I give to two different children that we've done for probably 12 years. That world piece that was on the, the map, I, it, it's probably the chances aren't great that I'm going to find myself halfway across the world, right? But it is a way that I can love my neighbor halfway across the world. So when you give, you're touching lives you're breaking chains. You are a part of those things that happen. In just a moment, I'm going to speak as a prayer today. I'm going to speak a passage over you, a passage of Scripture. And I just want you to close your eyes while I'm reading it and, and listen to it. But if you're here today, our prayer team this morning said, hey, there's somebody in the room this morning that's broken and hurting. There's something I want you to know. You're loved. We love you. God loves you. The people around you, we're all called to love you. And in a few moments, guys, we're going to worship and the prayer team's going to come down here. And I want to invite you if God's moved in your heart today, whether it's about loving people and wanting to commit to that to him, whether it's you have something going on in your life and you really need a touch today, you really need to feel the love of somebody else, our prayer team's gonna be down here. And I just want you all to consider when you go home today, conversations that you have 
what are those percentages? What percentage are you giving to family and friends and acquaintances and community? And what if it looked different? What if it looked a little bit more like Jesus? Where we started reaching out and enlarging our territory. Close your eyes. This is 1 Corinthians. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Father, pour into our hearts today. Speak to us. Open those doors for us. Help us to enlarge our territory, Father, for your kingdom, for your purpose, and for your glory. Father, you have given such an incredible love to us. May we turn that tide and begin to show incredible love to the people around us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.